okay, let's five, five, five this. Is this going to matter five minutes from now? Maybe. Okay. We'll come up with a joke, right? How about five days from now? Oh, five days from now? No. No one's going to care, right? They might remember it, but I'm not going to think about it anymore. And so that's what allowed him to let that go. And so uh, whether you're in sales or management or having, you know, something goes wrong in a presentation, whatever it is, you need to five, five, five it as a, a way to stop doing it. And he was very clever. He came back up and he goes, I don't know if anybody saw, but I was slapped. That's what caused my nose to bleed. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was John Livesey. John's the author of the book titled, The Sale is in the Tale, Five Storytelling Secrets to Keep from Drowning in a Sea of Sameness. And in our conversation, among other topics, we talk about the importance of storytelling, a skill that is arguably even more important as we move to whatever the next normal is. John and I talk about the real benefits of becoming a black belt in storytelling, which includes the ability to have other people remember your story for the meeting after the meeting. You and the buyers meet with together internally after they've met with you. We explore the four types of stories that every seller needs to be able to tell. We then dive into how sellers can create, craft, and practice these stories. So we get into all of this and much, much more. Before we get to John, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And I also want to remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern human-centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without using the salesy behaviors that buyers hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. Okay, let's jump into it. John, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's good to see you again. You as well. I was just talking about how I moved to Austin since I was last on your show. <laughs> yeah. I was funny. I, was, <laughs> I got a, a message yesterday from somebody that had been on my show closer to the beginning. You know, it's been seven years since we've started the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and when I last talked to him, this guy had four kids. Now he had eight kids. Oh, my. I was like, okay. Staying busy since the last time we spoke. Yes, the pandemic creates all kinds of things. <laughs> oh yeah, but eight kids. Wow, that's 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 a bunch. That's it's almost Alec Baldwin a, uh, territory, yes. <laughs> yeah, almost yeah, Alec Baldwin territory. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, it's almost a football team, not quite. So um well for people that, that aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Sure. You know how there's so many salespeople, especially in tech and healthcare, that struggle not to drown in a sea of sameness. They pitch and they're not getting sales and they don't know why. And so I'm known as the pitch whisperer. And I come in and help people tell stories and turn case studies into stories because my premise that's been proven time and again is whoever tells the best story is the one that gets the sale. And so once people start telling stories, not only are they winning more sales, but they're feeling a lot less pushy doing it. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm all in favor of that because yeah, my new book, Sell Without Selling Out, is, is yeah. all about all about that. So, yeah, no disagreement. I mean, stories, stories, as you write about in the book, you know, connect you to the the emotions exactly of the people you're dealing with. So, so tell us about that. Well, I think the majority of people think that people biologically. When I was talking to a uh, medical still, you still, still? yes. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I was talking to a medical equipment team. 
I said, what are you saying to get these doctors to buy this equipment? Well, it makes the surgeries go 30% faster. It's so logical. Why wouldn't you want this? Mm. Um, Bosch and Loam brought me in to speak to their sales team. They call an optometrist. I talk to the optometrist. They go, oh, the salespeople all say the same thing. Our product's the best, and here's all the data to back it up. He goes, I could look up the data. And I said, so no one is telling you a story. He goes, nope. And would you like to hear stories of how it helped a patient or helped a doctor? Yes, please. So, um, yes, it's still a big problem out there. And that's why I decided to write a, a fable for the first time. I've never done that genre before. So it's a story about storytelling uh, set in Austin. So in a way, it's also a love letter to Austin. <laughs> All right. Curry in favor with your new hometown. Um, well, I mean, this this idea of storytelling is certainly had more prominence over the last you know, five years or so on. Yeah. When you think about the books that have been written, the people I've interviewed on the show mm-hmm. about it, but, but there always seems to be this, wow, this gap between, Hey, it sounds like a good idea. Mm. And then people doing it. Yeah. And, and so what accounts for that in your mind? Because to me, this is, Mm-hmm. Well, we'll dig into this more. But I mean, yeah. this is sort of, for me, the central issue is... I think, especially is, if you're selling something that's high-priced or has a lot of technical details and you've been trained in all those details, if you're a medical professional uh, or you're selling a you know complicated tech piece of equipment, your brain, you're just not thinking. That's not how you process the world. You make a lot of... You think you're making everything uh, logical, and so you assume everyone else does. And also, when you ask people to tap into what's traditionally called a soft skill, listening, empathy, storytelling. The I words, call them power skills, by the way. <laughs> yes, I love that. So soft is, you know, they actually makes you stronger. So as you said, so they're really power skills. If everyone, everyone has the same hard skills, you know, if you're a lawyer, a doctor, financial advisor, and that's why everyone thinks you are all the same. It's the one who tells the story that is the one that's is memorable. I was working with a company... And there's many companies that have this format where they fill out a proposal, they get in the final three, and they each have mm. an hour to come in. And they said, oh, well, we always hope that we get to go last because we think whoever goes last is memorable. And I said, that's your strategy, hoping you can go last <laughs> when you can't control it? I said, how about if I show you and your team how to tell a story that people can remember and repeat for the meeting after the meeting? And they go, right. what's, what's the meeting after the meeting? And I said, they hear all the pitches and then they have another meeting and say, well, what do you think? They all sound the same. I think we should go with the cheapest or, you know, that company told this really great story about another client they helped and how they did it. And it sure sounds like something we'd like to have happen. Now they're seeing themselves in the story and that's concise enough that people can repeat it and become your brand ambassadors in that meeting where they're deciding which vendor or in my case, as a sales speaker, you know, why they should pick me versus somebody else. Right. Well, I think, so let's step back again, because you, you know, raise an interesting point, which I think is challenges sort of the perspective that a lot of people would have, which is that everybody has the soft skills. We differentiate ourselves in the, the, the product knowledge and, you know, the hard skills, power mm-hmm. skills, sort of, which, you know, you sort of turn that on its head. And I, you know, I agree with you. I mean, I think that, that, the soft skills are the point of differentiation. It's not right. the the product knowledge, but it's interesting if you were to, I'm willing to bet that if you asked, yeah. you know, hundred sales leaders, 99% of them would say, 
oh yeah, you know, it's the product knowledge, it's the content, it's blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It's really the differentiator. Well, I think when people zoom out and realize that people buy your energy, especially if you're selling something that's at all comparable to what somebody else has, whether it's a product or a service. I mean, I remember when my speaking agent goes, oh, congratulations, you just got picked to be the speaker. They liked your energy. Now, rarely is it that explicit. And when I talked to the event planner, she said, yeah, you made us all feel good in the interview. And we figured you could make the whole audience of 500 people feel that way. So if you think of money as being energy in action from a quantum physics standpoint, (laughs) then of course, those skills of listening and empathy and likability and trust are at the forefront because the hard skills are assumed. If you're in the final three as an architecture firm or a medical supply company or a speaker, they assume you can make equipment that's going to work or that you have a good talk. So then it just becomes more of an emotional, what, what's our gut tell us? You know, does this feel like something that's going to be a fit? Um, and that's where the soft skills come in. If you can tell a story of something you did for somebody else, that might be a little unexpected, That also helps you really stand out because stories by themselves, unless you become a black belt in it, I say, where you learn how to tell a story that people see themselves in, that's the secret because you need to have more Mm. than one story. You can't tell the same story to every person. So the story you would tell to a doctor is different to the story you'd tell to a CEO, et cetera. Um, Right. But I think that part of what you're saying is is one of the things I believe about about stories is that the story that people want to hear is their story right the one well, that we're there they're the ones if you're describing us. their story uh, you know and say you know this reminds me of another person who had the same struggle you're having and then you tell that story and they see themselves in the story then they're going to go oh you have my solution let me give you an example so let's go back to this equipment makes the surgeries go 30 percent faster mm-hmm. and they weren't getting a lot of sales with that and they couldn't understand why, because to them, it was so logical. Now they tell this story. Imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was when he could go out to this patient's family an hour earlier than expected and um, tell them the news about their loved one. And if you ever mm-hmm. waited for somebody you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. And he came out, put them out of their waiting mystery earlier and said, good news, the scope shows they don't have cancer, they're going to be fine. And then turned to the rep and said... You know, that's why I became a doctor for moments like this. Mm -hmm. So the client said, oh, gosh, that gives us chills. Not only are we not telling a story, it never occurred to us to make the patient's family a character in the story. And I said, and yes, you're not the hero either. The doctor is. And so now that rep tells that story, a little case story, I call it, to another doctor at another hospital. And that, Andy, is where the other doctor says, hey, you know what? That's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment, too. Yeah, I mean, certainly time that in helps. Yeah, no, I, the, and I agree. I mean, the point I was making is, yeah, it's, it's not about the product. It's not about, I mean, it's about, I believe, you know, the story that's, I've always remember this quote John Steinbeck talks about uh-huh. uh, as an East of Eden. He said, you know, if a story is not about the hearer, they're not interested. Right. Right. Because what they're interested in is, is, he said, basically, interested in hearing about the familiar. Mm-hmm. And, by, by tying it back to what they can achieve, what they're going to achieve by, uh, you know, investing in product or service or whatever, this vision of what success looks like, that's their story. Yes. 
I mean, when I was being interviewed by Anthem Insurance, I had said, and as you know, you're the expert at this, you know, asking questions to uncover potential fits. I said, well, what else Mm -hmm. is going to happen after you hire the speaker? Oh, we're going to have an improv session and role play objections. The audience is going to shout them out and somebody's going to be on stage playing the doctor and some of us will be, you know, Anthem people. And I said, well, what if I stayed after the keynote and would whisper in people's ear if they got stuck something from my talk to keep it going? And they go, oh, we never even considered asking a speaker to do that. We love that idea. Mm -hmm. And suddenly that was the reason I became the choice because- I figured out something and then I was doing it and they go, God, you're like the pitch whisperer. Can you be in my ear all the time and run in the field? And um, <laughs> it, so it, it, that's how I got called the pitch whisperer by the, that little moment. So it's fascinating to see when you come up with something that separates you from the herd. Um, and sometimes it's doing a little something extra that other people haven't thought to do or mm-hmm. aren't willing to do. Right. Which ties back to this idea of the soft skills, right? Because you're mm-hmm. you're paying attention, you're you're uh, engaged. I mean, a great definition I heard of empathy this week from a, another speaker, which was uh, engaged curiosity. <laughs> nice, I like that. Isn't that nice? Yes, because it's- curiosity is what causes us to ask more than one question. Yes. Well, hopefully so. Yes, because right? you know, I, you know, when you go to a, a, a therapist. And, you know, like, let's say a couple's coming in and they go, you know, we're here because our love life isn't what we want it to be. Mm -hmm. The the therapist calls that the presenting problem. There's really some other issues going on that's Mm -hmm. causing that. And the same thing is true of us as salespeople. When we're asking, what are your problems? What are your challenges? What are your needs? The first answer is probably not the real answer. Then they may not even consciously know what the real answer is. So it's up to us to keep asking anything else. What about this? And then you go, yep. oh, that is something that really would make a difference here. So, but you got to earn well, that but trust. That's a key point, though, because mm-hmm. what what you just brought up is that you know so often there's this emphasis in sales is that you know we have to present these sort of prepackaged commercial insights to buyers, right, to get them to think differently about the problem. And, and I contend, no, what we need to do is ask the questions yeah. that get them to think differently about it. Exactly. And then once you have that, then your brain is like a jukebox or a playlist. Instead of music or songs coming out, stories come out. So I work with people and I say, you have probably three to four ideal avatars. Um, let's say you're back to real estate. You're, mm-hmm. You've got the couple that's getting divorced. Or you have the family that needs to move because they're having kids and need a bigger house. And mm-hmm. you know, then you have someone who's... Spouse died. They need. So if you have a separate case story for each of those typical people that are selling their home of how you've helped them and why you should be the one that gets the listing, then people see themselves in that story. So that's mm-hmm. the joy is once you understand the importance of storytelling, how to do it, which is in the sale is in the tale with templates and examples, because a story has four key parts. And if you leave one out, it's kind of like leaving a, uh, an ingredient out of a cake. It's not going to work. So we'll take people through the four the four elements. The first part is the exposition. And this is where you think of yourself like a journalist. Like the who, what, where. We need to mm-hmm. paint the picture of where is this right. doctor? How what you know, six months ago, six years ago, what all of those details. And then you describe the problem. And this is really, Andy, what you and I are so on the same page with is the better you can describe a problem, the better somebody thinks you have their solution. Mm-hmm. That's really the empathy factor in, in work. And then you describe your solution. And here's the part that most people do not have in their story, the resolution. 
what is life like after you've bought the product or service? Imagine right. if the Wizard of Oz stopped when Dorothy got in the balloon. But no, there's that great scene where she's at home, right? <laughs> right, right. So if our stories don't have a resolution, then they're not really sticking or being emotional, connected. So that concept of the doctor and that other story saying, that's why I became a doctor. That's the resolution to that story for moments like this. Right. So in that case, so you're talking about, uh, let's say, a case story where you're describing mm-hmm. the experience of some other customer with your product or service is is yeah you've got the exposition sort of the who what where the the facts of the matter you describe the problem uh talk about the solution that you provided them the resolution being really the value they they receive from investing mm-hmm. in your product or service um and i i like that i mean i always like to add one other thing to that mm-hmm. is is sort of between Describe the problem and solution is tell why that customer specifically wanted to talk to you, mm. right? Because oftentimes there's there's a reason there. Well, yeah, we know you guys are the experts in mm-hmm. X Y Z, right? So we wanted to talk to you, and I found that that yes, you're almost great. getting them to sell themselves, right? You yeah. add that one other thing, right? There's mm-hmm. a reason you wanted to talk to us. This is what it was, right? Or the reason they wanted to talk to us. Excuse me, that's what it was. Small and thing, if you're describing I, a case story of another client, you can say, "Here's why they picked us." And then, well, go, I do oh. is here's why they here's why they want to talk to us. Then here's why they picked us. Right, and it's fine. Like you reinforce that that message about okay, well, this mm-hmm. is what we bring to the party. Right, and then the other part of what I love helping people with is resilience, because you know we all get rejected, and it's really. Uh, a challenge for a lot of salespeople uh, to not burn out or to hold on to the no or have mm-hmm. it, you know, devastate them. So I've come up with something I call the five, five, five method. And it's, okay. it's easy to remember and start using right away, which is literally, okay, somebody cuts you off in traffic. You're going to get mad and have it ruin your whole day or go, you know what? Will this matter in five minutes? It's up to me. Or if something bigger right. happens, you're like, will this matter in five hours? How about five days? So you just keep going. You're the movie director of your own life and you zoom out. And most things will not matter five days from now, including a no on a sale or a promotion that you were hoping. And even if it's something really big, like when my dad died, I wish I had this in my head because you can do it again. You go, how about five weeks, five months, five years from now will this matter? Now, if I could go back to my younger self, I'd say, Listen, I know you're really sad, and but I promise you in five years, you're still going to miss your dad, but you will not be this sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that ability to get back up after we've been knocked down faster is what allows us to be fully present for the next potential conversation. Interesting. So um, how do you weave that into a story? It's the story you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we all as, you know, writers and speakers and trainers want to give people another, something that's easy to remember and easy to use. And I have people emailing me all the time. Not, oh, something just happened. I five, five, five did, you know, I was at an event and um, one of the VPs was getting up to introduce the whole thing. And as he's walking on stage, his nose started bleeding and someone, you know, get him a napkin. And it was this whole little bit of drama. And um, it was bleeding so much that he had to go off stage and they had to have somebody else go on who was supposed to be the second speaker. And he had read the book 
and um, uh, his uh, co-worker was backstage with him. And, you know, he was embarrassed and there was like, you know, it's in front of her, the team. And she goes, okay, let's five, five, five this. Is this going to matter five minutes from now? Maybe. Okay. We'll come up with a joke, right? How about five days from now? Oh, five days from now? No, no one's going to care, right? They might remember it, but I'm not going to think about it anymore. Right. And so um, that's what allowed him to let that go. And so uh, whether you're in sales or management or having, you know, something goes wrong in a presentation, mm-hmm. you need, whatever it is, you need to five, five, five it as a, a way to stop um, doing it. And he was very clever. He came back up and he goes, I don't know if anybody saw, but I was slapped. That's what caused my nose to bleed. <laughs> and he got a big before laugh. Before or after the Oscars. <laughs> right after. Yeah. So um, it was very yeah. clever. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So let's let's go through the four story types you lay out. Uh, yes. In the book. You have your elevator story, your origin story, company story, and we talked a little bit about the case story. Yes. Um, so elevator story, you take pains to differentiate from elevator pitch. Yeah, um, big time. Yeah, so tell us about that. Well, you know, most people think an elevator pitch is something you've memorized and you're robotic and um, it goes on and on. They, You know, someone says, oh, they meet you at a cocktail party. Hey, Andy, tell me about yourself. What do you do? And it's not an invitation for a 10-minute monologue. Mm. And the goal of an elevator story is to get people intrigued enough to say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Right. So I have five quick steps that allow people to say something that intrigues people ideally to want to know more because then you're having a conversation. For example, the first step is just literally saying, you know how, because that's how people communicate. It's a conversation. You know how this past summer felt like it was the hottest ever. Mm -hmm. So you say, you know, and then the second step is who you help. It's crucial that you describe who you help. And then the third is what your, um, what their struggle is. Now, you right. notice there's five steps altogether. The first three steps, we have not said anything about what you do, as mm-hmm. opposed to most people say, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, I'm a CPA, I'm a fin- I'm, I sell widgets, whatever. So you're like, you know how salespeople, and I did it earlier, you know how salespeople struggle. And I said, what kind of salespeople, you know, not to come in second place and feel, right. you know, and then I gave my solution as the pitch whisperer. And then I talked about the fifth step is what life is like after People yep. work with me. So people go, wait a minute. I know a horse whisperer. I know a dog whisperer. What, what's, a, what's a pitch whisperer? How did that come about? It doesn't matter what they ask me. It's mm-hmm. just that there's something planted in there that intrigues them to want to know more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the setup because the you know how is is you're setting up for a comparison of some sort instantly, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And yeah, where our brains are matching engines, uh, we want to yep. do that. We want to make sense of, of that when you say that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's just a nice way for people to um, able to say something about themselves without it feeling memorized or robotic. Because even if somebody doesn't need what you're doing, if you say it in a story format like that, odds are they right. might remember it and be able to refer somebody who needs what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think it's 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 a great great sort of soft way to to get into that and to get people thinking. Um. So let's talk about origin story. And so after I was reading as like, I guess I'm not as, not as quite as sold on the origin story, but, but tell us why you think that's important. Well, it goes back to the old frame of in order to get someone to hire you or buy from you, they have to know, like, and trust you. We've heard that Mm -hmm. for decades. And the problem with that belief is 
No. Oh, they got to get to know me. Let me push out information, more facts, more numbers. And mm-hmm. I think you need to start with trust. It's literally a gut thing. Is this person, you know, safe? Is this email safe? Did I get a warm intro? All of that stuff. And one of the best ways to build trust is to tell something about yourself. I worked with an architecture firm that was up for a billion dollar airport renovation. And the client said to them, we're going to pick the firm we like the most because we got to work with you for six years. And they said, get John in here. We don't know where to start with that. We just show our designs and hope that's enough to win the business. Mm -hmm. And so they had a team slide. And they said, you know, if we run out of time, we'll we'll, uh, skip that. I go, no, that's the most important slide based on this criteria. And I said, what are you going to say? Oh, well, I've been here 10 years. I do this. I do that. I go, yeah. Okay, let's come up with a story of origin a little bit. So, Bob, what, what made you become an architect? Oh, I was 11 years old. I played with Legos. Now I have a son that's 11. I still play with Legos with him. I bring that same passion. Dude, where were you before here? I was in the Israeli army. I'm like, okay, since you um, are in charge of making sure this thing comes on time and under budget, I bet you learned about focus and discipline in the army. So those little origin stories, they're not long. It's just a little snippet into who they are. It's part of the reason they got that business because at the end of that client meeting, they turned to the client said, they, I think that's the kind of people I want to work with. Yeah. Well, I think that it it um, works our both ways, though, too, right? I mean, without a story, I always find or... it's important to get the origin story of the people I'm dealing with, too. Yes, like what people want to work with people who are passionate and happy doing what they're doing. You know, like I fell into this. I remember when I was a kid, I was asking my dentist. You know, I was like 12 years old. I'm like, how did you decide to become a dentist? And because I kind of admired him and he mm-hmm. said, oh, I really wanted to be a plastic surgeon, but I couldn't make it. So I settled for being a dentist. Well, <laughs> I was so disappointed in him after that. I was like, right. this is your second choice. You're not really happy. Um, and you're in my uh, mouth. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, there's all of those levels of, you know, I fell into real estate. I don't really, it's because I couldn't do anything else versus um, it's in my DNA. My mom was a broker. I grew up watching it. Very right. different. Well. Yeah, and I think that it, it really plays in this whole idea of, of you brought up as likability because, you know, it's, it's sort of fascinating to me is that somehow this idea of having – not having to be but wanting to be likable, that it's desirable to be likable is, <laughs> is controversial these days. You know, there are advocates for saying, oh, you don't need to be likable. You, know, you're, you don't care if your buyers like you. It's like mm. – well, first of all. Sure, maybe in absolute terms that may be the case, right? You always find exceptions, people that don't care. Right. Buyers don't care. But why wouldn't you be? Exactly. Why wouldn't you want to be? What's it cost you? <laughs> right. I think some people uh, put up the wall. Uh, I don't care if you like me or not because I want to be in control of this whole conversation. And also, I just want to be professional. Say, yes. And also, if you say no, I'm not going to take it so personally, but if, if I'm trying to make you like me and you say no to me and what I'm selling, then I'm also, you're saying no to who I, I'm not a good person or likable person. And so I think a lot of people are so afraid of taking that rejection personally that they put up all those walls of, I'm not going to, I'm going to pretend I don't care if you like me or not, because then I'm stronger and. Sure. But I, I, I always tell people, it says, yeah, they should read uh, Robert Cialdini's book, Persuasion. I love which that book. Uh, came out five five years or so ago, and in that book he cites research that shows that yes, people buy from people they know, like, and trust, 
and they're more likely to buy from people who they believe like them. Mm-hmm. And how do you make people feel like you like them as you be likable? Yep. Well, Tim yeah, Sanders yeah. wrote a whole book on it called The Likeability Factor. And there's right. all kinds of research. Doctors spend more time with patients they like. Teachers spend more time with students they like. And as we full circle, empathy is the way to up your likability factor. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially if you look at it from this perspective, engaged curiosity is, mm-hmm. is yeah. How do, you, how do you make yourself interesting to someone else? Well, be interested in them. Exactly. So third one, company story. Now, this sort of gets a bad rap because you know, mm-hmm. everybody says, I don't need your garage story. <laughs> um, and and there are many companies that default just putting up a garage slide or you know the equivalent of, and it's yeah, yeah. it has no value to anybody in the context of what you're doing. Yeah, so how I do see, you make that company story yeah. valuable? Your company story is not how many offices you have, how long you've been in business. Your company story can be much more vibrant and talk about an example of the values you have in action or what you're doing from a charity standpoint of view or how you're implementing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the comp- the people you hire. Um, those kinds of topics are very much at the forefront of um, people's decision-making these days on what companies they want to do business with because a lot of people want to do business with companies that have similar values to their company or themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I agree. I mean, I, I think in general that that's, that's the case. I mean, it's, it's one of these things like it's, I see it sort of like likability, right? It's, it's, it's hard to prove, yeah. but it's like, why wouldn't you bring this well, up? Especially, you know, if you're investing as a company and you are passionate about, let's say DEI, as you brought up, Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can talk about it knowledgeably and seeing what the results are and the changes are. Then yeah, I think that that passion it's worth sharing with people because to your point is there's more and more people that want to do business with people that are sort of purpose driven. Yes, and it's up our job as salespeople to connect the dots. So if you say we have you know X number of offices around the world and you're talking to a client who also has X number of offices around the world. Then you need to insert that phrase. And what that means to you is we can work with you and have consistent cost savings mm-hmm. and a consistent uh, product uh, and share information. So it's, you can't just say the facts, no, but you have to tie to why anybody cares about your company's statistics um, that they would go, oh, the fact that you have all these resources means something to me as opposed to good for you. Right. All right. So let me ask a question I, I get relatively often okay. when we talk about storytelling, which is, and I think back to my own experience, you know, first day out on the job in the territory, <laughs> I didn't know any stories. Mm. So, so how does, how do inexperienced sellers, not yes. inexperienced, you know, just short tenured sellers, let's say, mm-hmm. how do they learn stories? Well, tell. I think the first step is, just getting the basics down. That's why I put that methodology in the sale is in the tail for people to go, I'm not sure I'm a good storyteller, or maybe I think I am, but I don't know how to make people see themselves in it. So once you understand the structure of it, then you go, all right, now I'm going to interview some of my coworkers who've been selling and have success stories and start telling those stories, especially if it fits 
the person I'm just, you know, if, if you sold to a doctor and I'm calling on a doctor, I'm going to tell a story of, you know, one of my colleagues had this experience until you get your own stories under your belt. The good news about stories is I worked with a company that they put all of their stories that I helped them craft on a repository map across three separate divisions that have always mm-hmm. been siloed because right. they never knew each other. They didn't even know how to make an introduction um, <laughs> because they didn't know each other's stories. They don't even know what to say. Like, But right. now they go, oh, you should talk to Melissa in this division. And then they tell her her little case story. And that's how they're growing their existing clients. And it's a, silos are a problem in every industry, law firms, insurance companies. Sure. So stories, even if you're not new, but you want to introduce a new division or practice area, having all the stories in one place is a great resource for breaking down silos, which is another wonderful way to grow existing clients without having to start from scratch. Right. Yeah, interesting. I mean, is there somebody that should have sort of responsibility for crafting stories? I mean, is that you know part of marketing's responsibility? Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's marketing's responsibility to put the emphasis on that and then create a repository where all the stories live. And because the good news is it can become an onboarding tool. If the client I worked with, they have all the case stories and then they have the story of origin of each rep. My mom was a nurse or I was a microbiologist Mm -hmm. before. So people who are new to the team, as you know, with a great resignation, getting and keeping top talent is crucial. That first 90 days, if you Mm -hmm. have a place where people can get to know their coworkers even if it's remote, uh, by their own personal stories of how they got into this business, then they start to feel part of the culture much faster. So I think it's always, you know, marketing and sales can butt heads sometimes, but if everyone's on the same page as storytelling is part of our culture and the things that are in the marketing materials are going to be the same things that are the same stories that are coming out of the salespeople's mouth and the same stories we're telling in our advertising, then it all starts to work really well together. Right. What you're describing is a scenario though, where you have to be concerted and intentional about gathering the stories from sellers. Yes. And that's typically the marketing department's um, task because that's where they get some of their best marketing materials. You know, you, when home, you, right? yeah. <laughs> you know, if you have the good marketing is saying something that somebody's thinking and people look at that marketing ad or a copy and they go, how did they know that's what I was thinking? Are they in my head? Mm-hmm. And it's literally, if you have one person saying, this is what keeps me up at night, and that becomes your headline or question in an ad, and then that intrigues you to want to get to know more or have a conversation with a salesperson, and then that salesperson has a story to fit that whole thing, you've got all the cylinders working together. Right. All right, so sort of... um... I just, just had a question pop out of my mind. <laughs> okay. Well, five, 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 that you can forget about it. Yeah. yeah. Five, 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 that exactly. Cause, uh, gosh, I had a great question to follow oh. up with. Oh, well, uh, sorry. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's about gosh. marketing and sales okay. working together. If that helps trigger anything. Oh no, gosh, No. Well, okay. see here after yeah a thousand forty, thousand fifty episodes, this this can happen on occasion. Um, yes. <laughs> it was like, God, that was a good question. All right, John, we'll have you back on. We'll talk about that question <laughs> at some Fine, point in the that. future. Okay. All right. So, if uh, people want to learn more about the book, or get get their hands on it, uh, or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, for everyone listening, I have a free gift. All you have to do is take out your phone and text the word pitch. 
P-I-T-C-H, to 66866, and you get the free first chapter of the book, and that alone should compel you to see if you want to keep reading. Oh, perfect. Perfect. And to connect with you? Yep. It's just John Livesey, my website, L-I-V is in Victor, E-S-A-Y. And if you can't remember any of that, the sale is in the tail or my name or anything, just Google The Pitch Whisperer and all my content shows up. Perfect. All right. John, well, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Andy. Great to see you again. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, John Livesey, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or every listen to podcast. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.